right, well, please take your Bibles today and turn to Romans chapter 2. We're going verse by verse through the epistle to the Romans. It's a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture that unpacks the majesty and the beauty of God's plan for men and women, really God's plan for the world. And that's why we've titled the series through Romans, Good News for a Broken World. We look out at the world, we turn on the news or go through your social media feed, and it just seems like something is not right, that something's broken. And the truth is that the Bible answers that question. That's our theme, that let's look at what God says. How can, how can we find peace? How can we find truth? How can we find fulfillment in the midst of the brokenness around us. And our theme verses are Romans 1, 16 and 17. So I'd ask if you are willing to please read out loud with me these theme verses that we've looked at each week. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. And let's begin together. Ready? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And you notice that opening line, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that word gospel, you tell me, what does it mean? It means, it means good news. When Paul says the gospel, he's not talking about uh, uh, just a, a saying. He's not talking about a type of music. He's referring to literally the good news of Jesus. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Lord, I thank you that we have this time in your word. Please help me as I speak to speak clearly and only, Lord, to, to point people to your word. Help me not to stray away from the point of the scriptures. And I pray that the Bible would speak clearly and that your, you, Holy Spirit, would speak to every heart in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we get started, I want to give you this thought to really introduce the message today. We come to Romans 2. The good news of Jesus is that we can be set free. We can be set free by the gospel, by the good news. And that's what I want to speak to you about today and that is gospel freedom, being set free. But what about for those people who don't want to be set free? Or those who don't know that they need to be set free? Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? In fact, I was thinking of an illustration. How could we, how could we imagine this? How many of you have ever seen those videos of a trapped animal, maybe in a barbed wire fence or something like that, and somebody is trying to set that animal free. Have you seen those? They go around. Just help me out. Am I the only one that's seen that? Okay, some of you are like, I'm just not going to raise my hand even. I'm not. It's 90 degrees outside. I'm not helping you with that today. But maybe just kind of like do one of those. Like, yeah, okay. You've seen the videos. There's an animal just trying to get, it's, it's struggling, it's struggling, it's struggling, and then somebody comes along, and I've seen this. In fact, I was looking, I saw one with a wolf, actually. I saw one with a deer that was, that was trapped. The horns were stuck in there. What do they always do to the person that comes to try to set them free? What do they always do? They resist. They attack. They fight. There's one video. The guy almost got bit by a wolf. You've got to really be loving that wolf to risk getting bit to set it free, right? But the animal just fights. It's trapped. Does the animal enjoy being trapped? No. But interestingly enough, they're more afraid of the rescuer than they are of the bondage that they're in. They're more, they're more antagonistic against the one who wants nothing except their best. Do you think men and women can be that way sometimes? That we struggle in life, we fight, we resist, and sometimes people even resist God. They resist Jesus, and all he wants to do is bring good news and freedom into their lives. So what about people that don't understand that they're in bondage, or they don't, they don't know they need to be set free, or they don't want to be set free? 
Well, actually, Romans chapter 2 actually speaks to people like that. Now, if you were to look at verse number 1, it's like Donna and I were actually talking about Romans yesterday, and she said sometimes it's just really complicated. And if you look at Romans 2, the first couple of verses, you'll see it's like we just jumped into the deep end. I mean, we just, when I was a kid, you know, we wore those water wings. I know that's not what kids wear these days. But it's like you take them off and you just jump right into the deep end and you're just trying to stay afloat. Romans can be that way sometimes. So look, in fact, look at verses 1 and 2 here. Ready? Romans 2. Do we have the scriptures on the screen today? We're good? Okay, cool. So Romans 2, 1. Thou, or I'm sorry, therefore thou art inexcusable, O man. Whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For that thou judgest, thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and dost the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Anybody else feel like we just jumped in the deep end there? You know what I'm saying? You're like, oh. Good. Nice little little devotional thought. Let's go on. No, it's kind of heavy stuff. Now, if you're following along, you might notice there was one word that probably jumped out and stood out to you pretty, pretty significantly, and that would have been the word what? Judge. Right, I heard it. There's this judge, judge, judge. So what is this all talking about? Well, one thing I one thing that I want to do this morning, we need to understand something. By the time the book of Romans was written. The gospel of Jesus had already spread all over the world, right? We look backwards. It wasn't, Paul didn't write Romans and then go around and say, all right, this is, let me tell you about Jesus. Read this letter I wrote to the Romans. That's not how he did it. What happened was people went everywhere talking about Jesus. So people had already come to faith in Jesus. They knew the message of Jesus. They had a good idea of the teachings of Jesus. And so Paul, when he writes Romans chapter 2, what he's actually doing in the whole book of Romans, actually, what he's actually doing is he's taking the teachings of Jesus and he's expounding them in greater detail. So I thought to myself, I wonder if there's anything we can look back at in the life of Christ that helps us understand the book of Romans. And wouldn't you know, there is. So I want to give you this, and if you're following along in your notes, I'd encourage you to. You can already turn a page. That's good news right there. So we're going to go right onto the inside now. There's an encounter with Jesus that talks about this idea of the gospel in bondage, and it's way back in John chapter 8. So look back here. It's on your handout. It'll be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible. John chapter 8, and I want you to notice we're going to pick up a story of Jesus in verse number 31 of John chapter 8. John 8 and verse 31 says this. Then said Jesus, do, do we have the scripture this morning or not? All right, we're a little out of sync with the scripture, so it's all in, the, it's all in your text, in your handout this morning. John 8, 31 to 36. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So you understand who he's talking to? You help me out this morning. We got a scene with Jesus talking to what kind of people? Jews who did what? They believed. So he's looking at people that believed on him. But you'll see soon there was also another group there. There's a group of people that believed in Jesus, and then there's a whole other group that did not believe. Look how the story goes. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now look at verse 32. Would you read verse 32 out loud with me? Ready? Begin. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? going to make you free. Wow, that's good news, wouldn't you say? You're going to know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But do you know what immediately happened as soon as Jesus told these people, hey, the truth is going to set you free? They didn't say, wonderful, give us this truth. They immediately reacted against him. They immediately turned against him. Look what it says. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. Why do you say we shall be made free? What are they upset about? They're saying, wait a minute. We don't need you to set us free. You follow that? Jesus says, Jesus gives this wonderful message of good news. You can be set free. And they say, 
don't need you to set us free. We are, we're children of Abraham. No one has ever been master of us. We are free. Jesus replies to them in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever, what? If you commit sin, you are the what? He says, they say, we're free. Jesus says, well, you're actually in what? You're, yeah, you're in bondage. You're in servanthood. Why? Because of what? Because of their sin. They're in bondage because of their sin. And it says, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. Verse 36, let's read this one out loud. Ready? If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Do you notice the progression here? People in bondage. Jesus speaks the truth to them. If they were willing to see the truth about their condition, if they're willing to see the truth about their condition, then what happens? They get to walk in freedom. They get to live in freedom. But they don't understand, and so they bristle. They fight against it. Well, that group of people has persisted all, it has continued all the way from those days. There have been two groups of people throughout history. The one group of people says, Jesus, we need you to set us free. And the other group of people say, I got my life under control. I don't need anybody to set me free. I'm my own man. I am free. How many of you were one of those people before? Right? And you had to go through this cycle where you had to say, wait a minute, I thought I was okay. I thought I could handle my life on my own. But then I realized that all the freedom that I thought I really had, all the freedom I thought I had was really what? It was really bondage. And then I came to Jesus and I understood the truth and it was an uncomfortable truth. It was an uncomfortable truth that I'm not good enough, that I'm not as good as I thought I was. But when I admitted that, then I found freedom freedom through the grace of Jesus. That's the group of people Romans 2 is talking about. So let's get back to Romans 2. With that in mind, in the first five verses, we see here that the gospel, the freedom of the gospel, gives us freedom from self-righteousness. So we're going, to see this, we're going to see this progression. Bondage, the truth, and then the freedom in Christ. You ready? Bondage, truth, freedom in Christ. First of all, look at the bondage that we find here. In the first couple of verses, you said that word. Look at the verses again. What is the word that comes up over and over and over again? It's the word what? Go ahead. Some of you, you got it. It's the word what? Judge. Somebody's doing a lot of judging. Somebody's doing a whole lot of judging. This freedom now is for people that are filled with self-righteousness. Self-righteous people. They might be religious people. They might be educated people. It doesn't really matter. In this context, they are actually people who are faithful to the Jewish religion. But he says here in verse number two, in verse number one of chapter two, he says, you are inexcusable. You are judging other people, but when you judge them, when you say, can you believe, can you believe what that person did? Can you, when you speak that judgment against someone else, what are you actually doing? You're that same judgment. It's like what we used to tell our kids, right? You point one finger, you've got what? You got, you got yeah, three pointing back at you. But it's actually interesting here, if you look at this, wherein thou judgest another, in the way you judge another person, you are judged, because here's what you're doing. You're saying, if you say, that person is such a liar, can you believe them? You're admitting that liars are bad, Right? You're making a statement of judgment. That person right there needs to stop lying. But then once, what happens once you tell a lie? The words of judgment that you spoke come back to you. Now, does that mean you were wrong in the judgment that you made? Was the judgment you made correct? That person lies. Is that an accurate, truthful judgment? Not a trick question. Yeah. It's 100% accurate. But the problem with that judgmentalism is what? The same words condemn me. And the person here says, the person that says, I'm okay. See, here's the trap 
Here's the bondage of judgmentalism and self-righteousness. In order for you to live out a self-righteous life and be free to make judgments, you have to always say, I am better than them. I am better than her. I am better than him. I am better, I am better, I am better. But the problem is, eventually you're going to run into somebody who is what? Better than you. The problem, of the, the, problem the trap, the bondage, is you always have to be better than the next person. But the truth is, when you look down at someone else, in those quiet moments in your heart, we all realize, wait a minute, we're no better. We're no better. We might mask it a little bit better. We might control it a little bit better. But the same lie that irritates me about that person comes out of my lips sometimes. That's who he's talking to here. Verse number two. Verse number two. But we are sure that the judgment of God... Oh, now there's a different judge. Who was the judge in the first verse? We were the judge in the first verse. Who's now? Who's the judge in the second verse? Judge in the first verse is who? Us. Judge in the second verse is God. Who's the more righteous judge? But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. That's right. God will judge you for your sin. But as soon as that is pronounced, I realize, but God will judge me. It doesn't matter if I'm better or not. This is the trap. This is the bondage of self-righteousness. Now, he says in verse 3, and do you think, now this is really pointed, thinkest thou this, O man? Paul gets kind of aggressive in his language now. Do you think, as you, look at verse 3, I'm going to paraphrase it right now. Do you think that while you're judging other people for all the things that, that they do, when you do the same thing, do you think you're going to escape judgment? Pretty pointed words, aren't they? There's a trap. So again, remember the progression. Bondage, truth, freedom. The truth is the uncomfortable part. The truth is the point at which we have to decide if we're going to be like that animal in the trap that's going to rage back. I don't think that's true. I, or we're going to embrace the one who will set us free. Look at verse 4 as we see the gospel freedom now that comes in verse 4. He says, or despisest thou? Are you despising the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Do you understand how we set this up? In the previous verses, you're judging then God's judging. But in verse number four, is God judging anymore in verse number four? What's he doing? He's offering forgiveness. He's offering a way out. He's, this is why the gospel is such good news. It's because men and women are in the trap of their own self-righteousness, trying to outdo each other and prove that they're good enough and I can do this and I'm better than you. And God says, no, you're all under judgment. You're all sinners. But the good news is this, don't despise that truth. It's God's mercy. It's God's generous offer of salvation. It's God saying that his goodness, the fact that he would offer forgiveness, a way of escape, that should lead us to do what? To repent. That should lead us to say, God, I am so in the mess of my own making. I am so judgmental. I'm such a sinner. But you would even put up with me. You would even forgive me. It's actually not the wrath of God that makes men repent. It's not the fact that God says, I will judge your sin. It's the fact that God says, you, you, the judgment is default. The judgment is just what we understand to be true. We deserve it. What leads us to repentance is to say, it's not why would God judge me, it's why would God forgive me? There's no reason for God to forgive me. But the good news of the gospel is we can be set. You can get off the trap of religious performance, you can get off the trap of self-righteousness and, and repent because of the goodness of God. 
goodness of God. But the danger, there's a warning, don't let your heart get hard. A lot of people get hard. And they bite and they snarl and they fight back and they say, I don't need to be set free. I don't want to be set free. I'm doing pretty good on my own. I'm doing pretty good on my own. Verse number five describes that attitude this way. But after thy hardness and impenitent, impenitent heart, treasurest up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. God says this, you can continue in your phony self-righteousness and you will, des- you will pile up the wrath and judgment on yourself. Or you can turn to the freedom that comes through Christ. That's not about me and my performance, but about him. See, the first thing here, the gospel frees us from self-righteousness. Not only that, though, it frees us from self-justification. He goes deeper. You're like, Paul, I've had enough, man. Like, I get it. We looked at chapter 1, the whole world is under the wrath of God without Christ. Chapter 2, now he's pinpointing the finger at the self-righteous person. Well, now there's another trap, and that's the trap of self-justification. Self-justification, look at verse 6. He moves on, verse number 6. Speaking of the judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. This is an interesting section of verses. He says, if you want, here's what God will do. God will render to every man according to his deeds. If your deeds are patient continuance and well-doing, you just are doing good. You keep doing good. You're always doing good. That's the, then God will give you that reward. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. There's a couple of ways you can interpret those verses. You could look back at verse number, you could look back at verse number uh, six, that God will render to every man according to his deeds. And then in verse seven, it describes people who continually do good and they do right. You could say, you know what? Well, I guess I'm okay then. Because that's me. Verse number seven. Go ahead to verse number seven. That's me. Patiently, continuously doing good. And God's going to give me immortality. Or you could say, well, wait a minute. Then there's verse number eight. But then those who are contentious, not obedient, unrighteous. The question here is, and Paul's going to prove this by the end of Romans 3. The question is, which group of people are you in? If you look at the list and you say, you know what? Back at verse number seven, Kayla. If you look at verse number seven, patient, continuous, and well-doing, that's me. I'm, I, do, I got to a T. I'm perfect. I've got it. Then you are deeper in the trap of self-righteousness and self-justification than you know. You're deeper in the trap. If you say that pretty much describes my life, first of all, I want you to be my neighbor because we would never have a problem ever. I want, you, you know, I, I want to sit down and you tell me the secret to your life because that describes the life of no one I know. Now, that is a life that's possible in moments as believers if the Holy Spirit controls our lives. That's how we'll behave. But I know no one in their natural state. In fact, if you get to Romans chapter 3, Paul's going to answer this himself and say there's none that doeth good. So I think he sets this up here as a question. It's for us to compare. Am I a verse 7 person or a verse 8 person? And the truth is, I think we're all verse 7 people. We're sinful people. The bondage is this. While the self-righteous person says, the self-righteous person says, I'm better than you, the self-justifier, the person who justifies themselves says, well, I can be good enough. If I try hard enough, if I'm moral enough, if I work at it, I can be good enough. I'm a really good person. When you believe that about yourself, you're deeper in the trap than you know. In fact, as a person like that, 
Let's go back to another story of Jesus. This one is in, it's also in your notes on the inside second page. It's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Jesus encountered someone like this, and he was a lawyer. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Now, the fact that a lawyer thinks that he's a pretty good person, I don't know what that says. But he, he was convinced that he's a really good person. If you gave him verse 7 and 8 in Romans, if you said, are you continually doing good or are you disobedient kind of person, he'd be like, man, I'm a verse 7 guy all the way. I obey all the laws. I obey all the rules. I do it all. And so he says to Jesus, Master, Master, what good thing shall I do or what thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers with a question. Well, what is written in the law? What do the Ten Commandments say? What does the rest of the law say? How do you read it? What do you think you need to do? Well, the man says, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, this guy actually believes that he's obeying that. He literally believes that he loves God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength. He believes that about himself. I think that's the most astounding part of the story. That, he, that he, he's like, yep, got the law covered. Now, Jesus answers him again because Jesus always wants to probe deeper into the heart. Always deeper into the heart. Verse 28, and he said unto him, you've answered right. This do and thou shalt live. Guy's like, all right. I got it. I, I asked Jesus a question. I got it right. But something about him knew that it wasn't the case. Something gnawed at his heart. And he looked back at Jesus and he says, but he, willing to what? Justify himself. In other words, because remember, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor like yourself. He thinks about it. Does he really love everyone? No, I don't love everyone. I don't love my enemies. If you know the culture of the day, those Samaritans up north, I can't stand them. So he looks at him and he, and, Jesus, and he says to Jesus, okay, Jesus, well, let me ask you this then. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Some of you know what Jesus does. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he explains to him that if you can't love the person that your culture tells you to hate the most, the whole point was Jesus is showing him that for all of his self-justification, he wasn't as good at heart as he thought of himself to be. See, what, see what, I'm, what we're doing here? Jesus has explained all these teachings, and now Paul is just going deep into them. Take an honest... See, the bondage of self-justification says, you know what, I'm a pretty good person. And then when the, the Word of God just dials into this area right here, we say we look for self-justification. We look for a pass on a technicality. That's what this guy was hoping for. He was hoping for a, that he'd, he'd find a loophole. Oh, you don't have to love the Samaritans, and you can still have kept the commandments. But no such luck. No such loophole existed. The truth is this. There's a trap. Just like that animal caught in the fence, going against the one that would set them free. The best news of all is that rescuer who comes with the tools to loose the, loose the, loose the fence. He says, they snarl back and says, no, I will justify myself. I am good. I am good. But the gospel freedom comes from realizing this. There is true equality in Christ. You see, verse number 11 Look at 11 and 12, actually. For there is no respect of persons with God. You don't know who I am. But I come from this family. I, I've done this. There is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Can I give you the flip side of that? Yes, we are all equal under judgment, but that means we are all equal under forgiveness. 
We're all guilty. It's true. The gospel message is this. No matter how good you are, you see, we've got these comparison scales. One of the best things I ever saw, I think this was an old, uh, maybe a Billy Graham or some other famous evangelist illustration, but I'll never forget going to youth camp, and they took this ladder, and they, they put a huge extension ladder up in the room, all the way to like that rafter right there. And on the ladder, and we took all these name cards. All right, at the very top, at the, the very top is the best person you could imagine. At the very bottom is the worst person you could imagine, the top of the ladder. So we started out with somebody like, and, and this is, you, you, could, you could take a terrorist, a terrorist. Where would you put the terror? Everybody, where would you put the terrorist on the ladder? At the bottom, underneath the, underneath the foot of the ladder maybe, right? At the very ladder. And then you'd say, all right, well, um, you know, what about like the, the, back in the day, very pop, you know, this is when I was a kid, it was like Mother Teresa, you know, as far as human kindness and goodness can go, where would you put her? And, and people would often be like, all right, put her at the top, you know, good, kind of put her at the top. And then the question was, where, where do you go? Where do you belong? And most people would say what? They'd be like, put me in the middle. <laughs> Maybe one rung up from the middle. Depends on what day. You know what I'm saying? So you did. You do all this, and you'd have fun with it. They take the youth pastors and be like, "Where do you put your youth pastor?" Well, you know, we'd have fun, and, and so you get this cause, this 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 um ladder scale. The worst of humanity, the best of humanity. Okay. Where do you put God? The ladder's not big enough, is it? I mean, how many rungs up is he from me? Two? Trillion? You see, because we love to get in this game of, I'm two rungs higher than you, Cal. Then James comes over and says, like, yeah, I got him by three rungs. Or, you know, I'm, yeah, maybe I'm a rung below her, but I'm definitely three rungs above her. But it's all so silly. It's all so silly because this much difference on the scale of human goodness is a universe away from the righteous standard of God. We're all somewhere on that ladder. You might be a little higher, you might be a little lower. doesn't matter. We're all guilty before God. That's the bad news. That's the truth when we accept that. Our self-justification is about bumping up one rung. Ha-ha! Told you I'm good. Look at that. I got a rung higher. It makes no difference. Now, it might make your earthly situation better. I get that. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd rather have neighbors that are higher on the rung than lower on the rung, wouldn't you? You know, I, I mean, it, it does affect the way we live our lives, but in the scheme of right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness, holiness and justice, the scale doesn't matter at all, friends. The truth is, we're all guilty before God. But the good news, the good news is everyone on that ladder can be saved. Everyone, now will they all be? No, because of our self-righteousness. But I've got news for you. Here's the scary thing. There are people on the bottom of the ladder that will be judged, and there are people at the top of the ladder who will be judged. There will be. Now, people will answer, are you saying that the person at the very bottom, if they'll repent, they can be saved? They could live a wicked life and they could still be forgiven at the end? I am saying that. The Bible teaches that. However, it's not a likely scenario. Because the Bible teaches that the more we give in to sin, the further we descend down, lower and lower and lower, the harder our hearts get. But do you know what? The converse happens as well the higher we get on the ladder, the less likely we're going to come to Christ. Why? Because we're more impressed with ourselves. There's freedom from self-justification. If, if we're all equally judged, we can all be equally saved by the grace of Christ. There's freedom from my self-righteousness. There's freedom in the gospel from my self-justification. And the last point is in the, the final verse of our passage, there's freedom from conscience. Now, that's an interesting statement, right? Freedom from what? 
What do we say? Freedom from what? Conscience. Well, isn't conscience a good thing? Well, it is a good thing, but it's also something that points to my bondage. Look what happens. Did you notice this in verse 12? This is interesting. Notice this. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish. How? Without the law. And as many as have sinned where? In the law shall be judged what? By the law. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Did the Gentiles have the law of God for the most part? Not the written law of God. The Jews did. So it's, it's really there's, both are under judgment. This is interesting. Let's read on. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a what? Law unto what? Themselves. Which show the work of the law written not on stone, not on paper, but written where? In their hearts. How do we know? Their conscience. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Let me explain this a little bit to you. The person, here's where conscience comes in. There's another group of people. They're not the self-righteous. They're not the self-justifiers. In some ways, they are the self-made man or woman. And what they say is this. They say, judgment, sin, well, you can talk about that in the church all you want, and that's fine, but here's the deal. I don't live by your rules. I don't accept your morality. How many people have ever heard that before? They say, I am true to who? I am true to who? Myself. That is the popular morality of today. That is the religion of our day. Be true to yourself. So what is it? so I could be I could go back and forth and say all right well the bible says the bible says this and they say you know what take your bible and shove it because I don't believe the bible I have my own code of conduct So what do we do in that situation Oh well I guess there's nothing that can be said the scriptures tackle that person right on Here's the challenge the challenge is this Well let me ask you a question you don't live by the rules of the word of God. Okay, very common nowadays. Tell me about your code. What's your code? What might they say? You think we do this out loud. What might somebody say? What's the code? They don't follow the Bible, but they've got their own code. What might that code involve? Don't hurt somebody else, right? Somebody said be a good person, but that's, it need, they need to specify. You need a code to define what a good person is. I, I, don't, uh, I don't hurt anybody else. Right? What else might their code be? Yeah, they might have some of the traditional, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to lie, you know, be, be a good neighbor, do good. Now ask this question. So that's your code. Let me ask you this. Forget the Bible. How are you doing with your own moral code? Have you never harmed another person in thought, in word, or in deed? Have you never lied to someone as part of your code? The point is this. Whatever a person adopts for their code, their conscience will prove to them, their conscience will prove to them that they cannot even be true to themselves. Because whatever you do, he says here, the Gentiles didn't have the law, but they had a law to themselves. They knew, they knew basic elements of right and wrong. Did they have a lot of sin in their code? Sure, they did. But they had the basic elements of right and wrong. And, they, and you can say, well, I don't live by your Christian code. That's okay. You might have a secular creed. How faithful are you to that? And the truth is, if a person is honest with themselves, they'll look in their heart and say what? Even if I make up my own rules, I can't keep them. Even if I make up my own way of life, I can't. People, let me give you an example. Well, I'm not going to get married because marriage is, it didn't work. I saw it in this situation, that situation, it just didn't work. 
So I don't believe in that anymore. Okay, what do you believe in? I just think if two people should love each other, be faithful to each other. Okay, we've got two different systems of morality, don't we? How are the people with this moral code doing as a whole? They're doing well in our society or poorly? They're doing pretty poorly. Marriages aren't staying together. They're a mess. They've accepted this law, but they're not obeying it. But then we've got this other, you know what, I don't need the piece of paper. I'm just going to live by a new kind of relationship code. How are they doing with that code? They staying together forever? Is it working out? No. Different societies, people, are, people have always tried to redefine, well, this is moral, that's moral. Paul's saying this, like, yes, we have the true morality, but that's not my point. My point is for sake of argument, right? The point is this, whatever code you try to live by, you can't do it because we're broken, we're sinners. We can try to justify ourselves, redefine everything. But the point is this, no matter how hard we try, we just cannot measure up. We can't measure up. Our conscience proves that we're not faithful even to our own rules. There's a young man that comes to Jesus in Matthew 19. It's very similar to the other story. And he comes to Jesus, and he's very rich. And he says, Jesus, master, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus looks at him and he says, well, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. But if, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now he's getting a little nervous. And in verse number 18, he says, well, which ones? Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your mom and dad, love your neighbor as thyself. Young man says, well, check, 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 check. Now, I'm scratching my head as he checks off all these boxes. I'm like, this is either the most self-deceived person you've ever met or just a really good liar, right? I mean, he, he, he's just impressed. He's, yeah, I do it. So, but he says, but I'm still lacking something. What, do I, what am I missing? What am I missing? Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, why don't you go sell everything you have, give it all away to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. You come, follow me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? He had great possessions. Was Jesus' point that you have to give away all your possessions if you want to go heaven? Go to heaven? Is that the point? The point is this. Tell me your code, young man. What code do you live by? Well, I'm going to do this, do this, do this. Okay. But let me tell you something. It's still not good enough. Here's what Romans is teaching us. Romans is teaching us that no matter what, we can be self-righteous, we can self-justify, we can recreate our own sense of morality, but it won't escape the bondage of your conscience, the bondage of the guilty conscience, that when you lay your head on your pillow at night, men and women know, even from the time we're child, children, we begin to understand that we've, as good as we try to be, we are still guilty, guilty, guilty. Remember the, remember the progression. Bondage. Truth, freedom, bondage, truth. Now I'm at the point where I'm wrestling with the truth. Could the teaching of Jesus be true? Could it be the, a fact that I am a sinner and that it's hopeless without Christ? Could it be that my religion's not good enough? Could it be that all my own efforts aren't good enough? Could that be true? And that's the point that people struggle and they wrestle with. And some people look at Jesus and say, get out of here. I don't need to be set free from anything. And they go back into the trap. And other people repent, they humble themselves, and they say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And that's when the gospel becomes the greatest news you could have ever heard in your life. The good news is you will only answer to Jesus, and Jesus is the perfect judge who is willing to give you a pardon. Final scripture. We'll go back. We'll finish with the words of Jesus. This is what he says in John chapter 5. John 5 and verse 22, Jesus says, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. Who is the Son? His name is what? Jesus. So back in verse 22, back me up a little bit. In verse number 22, God isn't going to judge anybody. He's, the Father is not going to judge anybody. Who's going to be the judge at the end of time? Jesus will be the judge. Now that's good news, because he's also the one that paid the penalty 
that took the judgment. In verse 23, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Now here's the the most beautiful gospel sentence you could ever hear in in regards to everything we discussed today. Verse 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You want to be set free from the trap of your own religion, of your own self-justification? Jesus says this, if you will believe, that word believe, it's not just, yes, I believe in Jesus. It's the moment, biblically, believing is the moment in life where you repent, you recognize, I am not good. I was going to say enough, but the truth is, I am not good. I am not good. I am under judgment, but I believe. I have faith that when Jesus hung on the cross, when his blood was shed, when he cried, Father, forgive them, when he said, it is finished, I believe that he was taking my punishment, that he was dying for me, not to make me a better person, not so that I would become religious, but to give me a full and final pardon. And Jesus says, when you believe that, you'll not come into condemnation, but you will have passed from death to life. Which person are you? Are you the one that says, I'm okay. I don't need Jesus. Many, we were all in that position at one point in life. And in that moment, we were more deceived, we were more in bondage than we ever imagined. Or are you the person that goes through repentance and says, I am not okay. I am the opposite of okay. I desperately and only need Christ. Until that transformation happens in your heart, you are under the judgment of God. But at that moment, at that very moment when you believe on Jesus alone, you pass from condemned to forgiven, from the sentence of death to eternal life. Have you come to terms with the truth? I'm not asking you to accept what I have to say. There are people that could say it better. The point is this. Consider what Christ said. Don't consider what I say or what a church or what an what a author or... No, it doesn't matter what they say. Let, we looked at a lot of scripture today. I try to always give a lot of scripture. What does God's word say about the condition of your heart and your soul? The best news you could ever hear is that you're more broken than you could have ever imagined, but that you're more loved than you could have ever imagined. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you, whether you're in this room this morning or whether you're watching online, I want to invite you to receive Christ right now. You say, what do you mean? Would you simply bow your heart, maybe close your eyes? There's no magic formula. It's a heart belief. But in this moment, would you quietly tell the Lord, quietly out loud, however, just say, dear Jesus, I see myself right now as a sinner and I trust your salvation, not mine, your death and your resurrection. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I reject myself, and I believe in you. That is salvation. That is all that is required for you to pass from death to life. Would you make that decision this morning? Please, heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's come to this quiet time of prayer as we end the service. This is a moment right now, this is an opportunity for you and for me 
to reflect on what we just heard. We're going we're gonna to sing some music. We're going to end the service. But before that happens, this is an opportunity to respond to God. Is God speaking to your heart? Christian, maybe you are already are a believer, and you've gone back into the bondage of self-righteousness. You say, Ethan, I do understand I do understand that it's only Jesus who can save me, but I've really started to get a pretty high opinion of myself. You need to repent of that this morning and get back to living in the gospel. But maybe you're still wrestling with the decision to trust Christ. Would you right now, as Amy softly plays the piano, come to a quiet time, would you put your full faith and your full trust in Christ I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, do any religious thing. I'm just asking you right now, it's just you and God. It's just you and Christ. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Put your faith in him right now. Our God, we come to you this morning. We're just so grateful that we have these wonderful words recorded. We thank you for such awesome good news of salvation in Christ. I pray for believers to walk out of here just re-energized with gospel fervor and gospel power. Lord, I pray for those who trusted Christ this morning. Maybe somebody listen to this message or is in this house today and Lord today they made the decision to follow you I pray Lord that you would help them to grow in grace to grow in faith do a real work in their life Lord please and please do a work in our church help us to be a gospel people help us to reach others with this good news in Jesus wonderful name I pray amen